0: Welcome to another episode of How to Start a Startup by Hyper. Today, we have a recorded QA with one of Hyper's founders, Chris Ingate from 3Helps. 3Helps is a volunteer marketplace that connects volunteers with relevant opportunities, and the questions include topics such as capital raising, partnerships, networking, getting out of your comfort zone, and much more. So, with that, let's get into the episode.
1: Trent, Josh, Catherine, Angus, it's Amanda, just come through. Here we go. It's always good when someone, more than one person one. joins. Exactly.
2: So we'll start in a, in a couple of minutes once we allow everyone to come in. And this will obviously be recorded as well,
1: which will be exciting. Stacey, Amanda, welcome. Feel free to keep typing any questions in the chat as yes. well that come to mind. Hopefully I can do my best to answer them.
2: Let's check that it's working, that everyone can hear us loud and clear. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate it. Our sound tester. (laughs) So we'll kick off at at 6.03 p.m., uh, which I think is here at 9.03 p.m. So I do apologise as well to anyone in in London or or Europe uh, as i got an hour difference, didn't look at it appropriately at the time. So I I
1: spoke about that but. Google can help with that, in my opinion, but exactly. <laughs> Maxi Francis. Is he in England now? Yeah, he's in
2: London. Good to see you, Maxie. Who else got Amanda? Hello, Amanda, Angus, Catherine, Josh. There's a few coming in, which is great. We'll kick off in a minute. You got a nice joke for the crowd, Sandra? <laughs> I should have actually prepared something. Your hair's a good enough yeah, job, nice focus.
1: New haircut from Sam, everyone,
2: <laughs> check it out. Yeah. <laughs> Mix it up. <laughs> the, life, the life of being involved in a startup, you can really express yourself. There's no, you know, yeah. corporatisation. No judgement here, no Sam. Which is great. No judgement. Oh, well, let's um, let's kick off. Hey, Chris. Um, so, yeah, hello, everyone. My name is Sam Cuss, one of the directors here at Hyper. Very excited to be with you all this evening to our Australian audience uh, and good morning to our Europe and United Kingdom founders as well. Um, Very excited to also be doing this on Apollo, uh, this live feature as well. So feel free to give any feedback on how you find it as well. But uh, Apollo obviously, a fantastic community for our hyper network of investors, partners, hyper founders, all working together to support each other. I'm uh, very excited to have Chris Ingate, the founder of FreeHelps, with Helps, uh, with me this evening or uh, well, this morning uh, to talk about his journey going from finishing up the Accelerate program to be able to go and raise uh, you know, around $100,000 AUD in funding to then go through the process of what
1: he is now building out his startup. Um, so welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome everyone. I'll do my best to hopefully answer all of your questions and just give you an insight on what work, what worked well for me. Um, you know, to help hopefully help out your journey because, you know, we're all in this together, we're all founders, we're all got a start up mindset. So yeah, here to help where I can. Fantastic. Uh, and yeah, just like so a little bit of
2: housekeeping. So, we want this to be as interactive as possible. We've had a few questions come through, which is great. So, feel free to use that chat button. Uh, I've got it up here. So, I'll relay any questions that may be necessary or that you'd like to ask. And feel free, there is no silly question or stupid question um, on that end. And we will probably keep this to around half an hour and have it really concise and engaging. There's a lot that Chris can speak about, but we're really going to focus on his ability to raise that funding uh, and go through that process. Um, so, yeah, Chris, we'll, we'll kick off, keen um, to obviously probably chat through a bit of a, an understanding chronologically, chronologically of what you've been through, um, so you've just finished up, or you, so tell me back to when you just finished up the Accelerate program, um, you've got all the assets, you've got this idea, kind of what was your next step in order to go through that process of getting yourself to raise that funding and get that validation to, to
1: take that next leap? Yeah, good, I guess, yeah, good starting point. So. I want to preface that every journey and every product and every solution and every startup is different. So what may have worked for me may not work for you. It depends on the market, depends on your solution, depends on the problem that you're obviously trying to solve. But for me, volunteering rates in Australia have been decreasing and Australians are feeling lonely. So our problem, what 3HELPS is trying to solve or is solving, is by just making helping one another and make, making volunteering way easier than what it is today. So that's the problem. And then once finished the hyper program, obviously had the pitch tech, the prototype, and some experience advice from Sambo, it's all about building traction. Not necessarily what we know as the MVP traction about getting a minimal viable product out there. I actually read in a recent book that it's minimal viable progress. So what's the minimal thing that you can do to keep building momentum on your startup journey? For me, it was using that pitch deck and prototype to get a handful of charities to say, yep, we struggle finding volunteers. We would use your platform when it's ready. With those handful of charities, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation. I then went to other partners or other potential investors and be like, look, I've got these handful of partners that can range anywhere from five. I've got about 20 charities who are now on board as early adopters and then that i talk to my friends and family and say hey guys i've got this prototype i've got this pitch deck i've got these 20 charities that are willing to use it i now need the money cool. so for me the first momentum was getting those charities to essentially give the thumbs up yeah
2: fantastic and that's what we speak about a lot. And through that process, we spoke about Chris as well, is really going and having those conversations from a partnership level, um, in order to not only validate your idea and, and personally give you confidence, but also give the idea um, that you know, validity that it's solving a problem that's out there. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure as well, your investors, et cetera, were um, had a lot more trust in the actual business you're building out, by the fact that you've
1: already gone and spoken to customers who were willing to be part of that early adoption process. Correct, correct. And the probably most important thing there is it's not necessarily getting those early adopters to, to, to say yes, or well, that's obviously, you know, the main outcome, but it's also the practice and learning and the responses to the questions they ask. Yeah. You know, how does it work? How's you going know, to make money? Who's involved? You know, what's your long-term vision? Because every single question that someone <clears throat> asks initially is just a learning curve for you to then relay that information, you know, down the road. Yeah. Fantastic.
2: So, you've gone out and you've had partnership conversations, you've had some positive feedback, you've had some, you know, not negative, but maybe different feedback as well. Um, What was the next step there? So, we went through and we actually valued the company. What was the process of valuing the company in order to actually understand how we're going to go through the capital raise?
1: Yeah. And valuation is a tricky one, especially for, you know, us who are starting up when we got no revenue, we've got no product, we've got even no business model. You might have a forecast per se. But, you know, in my mind, essentially, evaluation, I've got a background in sales, evaluation is just in one sentence what you can portray to whoever you're talking to and justify why you've come up with that number. So for early stage, I was speaking to friends and family who they pretty much have told me that they didn't really mind what product I was building, they were backing me, just the individual because they knew me for a long time and I've been on this journey for, you know, 12 to 18 months and I kept them up up to date, that they were backing me. So in that instance, it was literally when I valued Three Helps at $2 million, which on the back of Sam's advice and Jason from Cake Equity, and if you haven't heard of them, I'll definitely go and check them out. The tools they have are amazing. They essentially help you... Manage all your equity. But there's what's called a burkus method, which essentially just uses five different categories. It's like market, team, product, I can't remember customers. The customers. Yeah. Um, and that gives you sort of a rough indication. But in terms of valuation, it depends who you're talking to. Friends and family or people who know you are testing your confidence in your response. Mm-hmm. When they ask, what is your valuation? What is your one sentence? What is your body? What is your demeanor? How is your tone? You know, for me, it was the six million active volunteers in Australia. I just got to get five thousand paying five dollars a month for a current subscription. That's twenty five grand. You know, multiply over that over you know years of operation. It's two million dollars. Is like, okay? That makes sense. And I probably said it in a bit more of a confident way than just then. Yeah. Um, but then, the more you go down the road, obviously, those conversations with more sophisticated investors, if you will, you might need more sophisticated responses. So the middle tier angels, they still might be your friends and family, but they're angel investors. They may want, they might want to see the Burkis method, your forecasts, your costs, your profits, how you're going to acquire customers. Yeah. So the answer is it really comes down to who you're talking to and the best advice would be model out those people that you're going to talk to. Here's what friends and family may be interested in. Here's what an angel is interested in. Here's what a VC is interested in. And practice responding in a mirror or in a video how you will respond to that question. What is your valuation and why? Yeah, no, that's fantastic advice, Chris. And
2: I think really breaking down and understanding that at the end of the day, there's no magic formula. Um, yeah, you know, there's kind of boundaries and there's justification as to reason. But it is very hard when you're pre-revenue and pre-product to provide, I guess, a, a valuation based on factual financial um, information. But utilizing those tools, you know, with us in order to do so. So just breaking that down again, um, you know, one thing that you know, some founders and, and totally just may feel uh, a little bit, I guess, um, concerned about approaching family and friends and, and bringing them in as well. So when we're talking about family, friends, and fools, as it's coined, I guess, you know. How did you go about approaching that conversation um, and, and getting it out there? And what were the type of, some of the responses that you got, being yeses or nos?
1: Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because friends and family, you know, as they are saying, that don't mix uh, business with friends and family. Um, but, again, it's all practice. It is all practice. So. Initially I had a lot of close friends who were like, I back your idea, I back the problem, I back the solution, but no, it's not the right time. I've just bought a house or I've got kids, I've got a family, you know, no. But again, they would ask questions and they will tell you why no. Mm -hmm. So then it's not a, oh God, I'm bummed out. It's like, okay, that's just a no from you. I'm going to use whatever information I learned there Mm -hmm. and apply it to the other family and friends. But One of the biggest probably learning curves I've taken from this journey is as harsh as it may sound, not many people actually care about what you're doing. Um, Even with such a solid mission of trying to improve mental health and volunteering, at the end of the day, all these people you're speaking to have their own life, have their own family, have their own money worries, have their own jobs, have their own life. So although on the surface... They might say, yes, I'm very interested, or yes, they're along for the journey. It's really up to us as the founder to essentially paint the picture of why they should care and why they should be on the journey. And it could be simply as, "That as, hey, you're my friend and I would like support. Mm. You know, it depends on who you're speaking to, or I know you had a family member who suffered from loneliness. She could really use a volunteering app like this. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So... You've got to try and get creative to why they should care is probably yeah. the biggest thing that I've, I've learned throughout the process. Yeah, I think that's really valuable. You know, even when
2: going to later stage when talking to, you know, venture capital, et cetera, they will have an investment mandate. It's a specific product, you know, that they or, sorry, a specific industry they might focus on, specific metrics they might look at, um, as well as, you know, individuals at family and friends, there may be different intrinsic or extrinsic motivations that they value in. Maybe it's supporting Chris, maybe it's the idea, I want a 10 times return, I just want to see this come to market, whatever that may be, um, which is super powerful. So, Chris, I remember as well going through the process, what you did really well um, was creating a like a monthly checkup and getting a huge database of potential investors and users, et cetera, and keeping them updated of how you're progressing. Can you talk through that? Because I think it's a really valuable tool in order to be utilising to really create almost a community around your startup um, of people that might be interested from all different levels.
1: Yeah, and I didn't coin this myself. I took it from another founder, I think it was Ash who actually told me, but I have implemented it for about the last 12 months. And essentially what Sam is saying is just a monthly update that comes from me, which is very short and sharp. So it's an opening paragraph. It's then the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And what this is doing is creating a journey and getting people along for that journey because this, a friend or family or investor you speak to now who might have just bought the house, you know, in, one, in 12 months or 18 months' time might have more cash freed up. Just because they said no now doesn't mean they won't say yes down the road. And just like any partnership or relationship it is a long duration and how do you keep them engaged it's updates but not only updates actually very sincere and that's why it's the good the bad and ugly i think they got the most value from the ugly because they were saying how vulnerable i was willing to show to you know a lot of people yes it was behind email but the more truth, transparent and vulnerable you are, the more connected they will feel um, and the more part of the community because, and it's different. I took an approach where I just sent it from my emails. I know a lot of marketing and brands out there use EDMs, like actual email templates if you will i personally don't like them because mm. as soon as i see that i just see a robot and it's automated so i type all of mine up and i seem to get a lot of good feedback because people actually read them um so that's up for you guys listening to make your own decision um but think about think about how you read emails it's on your phone it's on passing it's in between phone calls it's in the taxi so what information would you read yeah but for me it's just dot point updates Keep them along the ride from the journey.
2: Cool. Yeah, I think what, what might be really valuable is we'll, we'll share an example after this for everyone to look at um, that, that Chris did as well. So you'll you'll see what we're talking about, uh, which is wonderful. Um, so yeah, talk to me, Chris. So you've gone out and you've had chats with um, family and friends. Now, family and friends—the way that it's worded—is kind of like anyone within your network. It doesn't have to be someone that you actually physically know as your family or your friend. It's just someone with network it's just the startup terminology of it um so you've gone out and you've identified these people you've had conversations um and then they've committed to actually want to invest so just from a um i guess a structure point of view how did that go like, so you set certain documents which we know about but just talk, talk through as well and then you've got a bank out and they submitted that cash and then so talk me through that process for the listeners
1: yeah, for me, based in Australia, the tools that I used was Airwallex, which I think is now huge in London as well. Yeah. But they're fabulous, essentially a new future bank, which just makes it very, very easy for banking. So created that. I used LawPath, which is essentially a law service here in Australia. There's something similar in London. You know, that was about 800 bucks a year membership. Mm-hmm. And then I think for a couple hundred bucks, they created me the SAFE document, which is the cash now for discounted equity in the future and the shareholders agreement. You know, they did all, I've got no legal experience (laughs) whatsoever, but they did that for, you know, affordable price. And then Cake Equity, the tool that I mentioned before. So that actually handle all of the equity and the splits and the cap tables. But essentially I have those three tools set up and then it's just a matter of one, obviously you' getting the the formal approval from whoever the investor. you know they need to just electronically sign all the forms and then these softwares and tools handle all of it. And it's such a good time, the present, because we have services like this, you know ten, 20 years ago, you probably needed to hire a full-time lawyer, a full-time CFO this early on, which is, obviously hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. All of these softwares that you know, anywhere depending on what you use, from a couple of bucks to a couple hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Um, so definitely recommend those three for, for those listening. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. And they're all our hyper partners, which is great.
2: So feel free to reach out to your commercial strategist to help introduce or, or use your um, program um, guide tracker, which is in each of your Slack accounts in order to be able to see them as well, which is great. Um, so, Chris, you've been able to, to raise the amount of capital that come through. Uh, what was the next step post-accelerate program in getting that capital um, and talk us through, I guess, where you are now?
1: Yeah, so I got about eighty grand from fan, friends and family, you know, to break that actually down, a couple of schoolmates um, Repeat the second tool. There was Air Wallets, which is the bank. There was Law path which is an Australian firm. I'm not sure if they're in England. And then the third was Cake. Cake Equity. Cake equity. Yeah. For stacy Hopefully that helps. Cool. Um, so you got the 80,000. Um,
2: and then, yeah, what was the next step from there?
1: Got the 80,000, which is essentially allowed me to start building the app. I've started off as Three Helps, which was on my own, but I've actually recently come across another company that is doing very similar things called One Another. So I've actually acquired their company and we have come together and rebranding and relaunching in about a month as One Another. So Three Helps is the parent company. So essentially that eighty grand has been used to, one, acquire that business and then to update all of our wireframes and development. My co-founder is now a developer, is currently building the application. Um, and a lot of that money has gone into actually just the design of the websites and the new app. Yeah. Um, but with that, back to my initial opening sentence was minimal viable progress. So with that 80 grand, kept building the snowball and kept building the momentum. And then, for, in my mind, the next logical step was to apply for the New South Wales <laughs> Government Grant, which why that was the logical step is because you need to provide matched funding. It's a grant of $25,000. Uh, essentially, it's an application which I've completed and got approved. So anyone who's going through the same process, please feel free to reach out. I'll essentially just share the application <laughs> yeah. and Sam, um, and you can just replicate that. But... I've applied for that government grant and they've approved it. So that's where we've gone up to the 100 grand. Um, And what money is left aside from development, I'm keeping for user acquisition. Um, Again, this depends on your product, your problem, your industry, your cost of acquisition, and things like that. But for me, it's all about acquiring users early on so we can get that customer connection, get that customer validation. So, what I'm allocating about 50 grand for is supply partners. So, essentially, any partner and hyper will most likely be one. He probably doesn't know it yet. (laughs) But for any partners that drive one another app downloads, you know, we're going to pay two to five dollars a download early on. And once our model and business is sorted out, we're going to change that to once we get a paid subscriber, you know, we pay a set commission or whatever that is. So, I don't believe personally in digital advertising, Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, just not for what we're trying to do. So I'm very much holding that money for direct user acquisition. Yeah, cool. No, fantastic. Um, So, yeah, great. So the
2: money came in, just to kind of summarise, the money came in, you're able to then put, I think we went through, well, we did go through our pre-development program, which is great, Uh, was then able to further validate and have other conversations, acquire another company, bring on a, you know, other a technical CTO and another business partner and now Flourish as well, which is great. And then what you touched on as well is government grants to be using um, as an investment strategy early on as well can be really helpful. So um, here in New South Wales, in Sydney, there's the Minimum Viable Product Grant, but each state in Australia has their own potential grants to help boost um, so get in touch with your CS in order to assist you in that pathway and then also to our UK audience as well. There's some fantastic programs like the SEIS um, which can help with investment as well, which is awesome. Um, so, Chris, I guess now that you've you've gone through that and you've um, got the money, you're now building it out. In terms of your next fundraising, have you started to think about what might be next once you've started to get a product live in market?
1: Yeah, it's a golden question <laughs> and that's what Sambo and I have been yeah. tossing up for, for quite a long time. Um yes, I have thought about it the nature of our product, which is essentially we very much want to turn an army of brand ambassadors into our sales reps because yeah. um, it's a volunteering app, it's about mental health, it's about you know helping others. we feel like influencers can play a solid role there and what is a good raising strategy for for influencers is crowdfunding campaign. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a very good point. Part of that $80,000 that I've kept over, I've also allocated to building the videos and the content necessary for a crowdfunding campaign. And in Australia, we essentially can just do that via virtual. Burg- is it virtual? Yeah. Um, and there's a couple others out there. But what the beauty of that is, is you get a series of, I guess, mini investors, you know, it could range from a couple of hundreds to a couple of thousand people depending what you're trying to raise, I have a goal of raising about five hundred to a million dollars, just depending on you know how well our traction goes in the first six months. But the best thing with crowdfunding is those couple hundred people then turn into your brand ambassadors because they've invested in your product, they've seen it, you know, yeah. they know what it is, so then they can begin selling your product for you. Yeah. So for for where we will be, our serious raise would most likely come from a crowdfunding campaign or still just a more serious angel investor um early on cool no thanks chris
2: now i've got a, a bit
1: of a sidetrack question i think so incredibly important so in
2: terms of getting out there and practicing you obviously spoke about it in the mirror but i know what you did and, and which is fantastic and trying to urge as many people to do it and get out of their comfort zone but you know you took the opportunity to speak at various pitch nights uh went to several events you know always networking like talk me through i guess a little bit of the the mindset to do so some of the stuff you've done, and I guess really any advice you give these all our founders
1: uh, at this early stage? Yeah. Um, to me, and I guess I think both of us completely agree like, net, there is no ever downside to networking, to speaking, to practicing your pitch, to answering tough questions. Yeah, you know, a lot of founders early on who think they have the most brilliant or probably do have the most brilliant idea or new product or new feature sort of get maybe not self-conscious, but get worried that if they tell more people that someone else might steal that idea. Um, I think that is the wrong approach because, yeah, it's just a a bad approach because the feedback and advice and the benefits you get from practising and building confidence and the terminologies, you'll be able to see how your pitch is received by body language, by the questions they ask. You can see how engaged they are. So, for example, I went and did a Bondi network pitch last minute. I think Sambo just called me up and said, we're doing a few hours, do you want to come pitch? I'm like, why not? <laughs> you know, I think there was free beers and a bit of pizza on as well. But just in that audience, I could see that they were engaged and I had someone come up who was actually the Bondi mayor who's was going to promote me to all of the Bondi businesses in Bondi and that was just a last-minute last, last minute networking event. But to, I guess, answer your question, there is no downside in how many conversations as possible no one is going to steal your idea if they do you know it's a very good idea I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think it's felt like you
2: know look at the, the people actually taking an idea you've got to be passionate about it you've got to want to dedicate your life to it so someone's just to take it and build it you know how hard this journey is everyone does um yeah you, know, you, you actually have to believe and want to get up at night in order to do so so very very to
1: and it comes back to being in your uncomfortable zone. Yeah. You know, we know a lot of founders, I've been in sales, so, you know, I've had a bit of practice of speaking and presenting in front of audiences. But we, we understand that people might have a tech background or finance background, whatever your background is. I'm a huge believer in the uncomfortable zone is the way forward. You know, what's most challenging or what you feel is most challenging is a barrier that you should address head on and knock down. Is it presenting? You know, go and present. Is it recording your own videos? Mm-hmm. Practice. Go and do it. Um, yeah, usually the obstacle is the way, um, and there's a great book that I can share that goes into details about that as well. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Chris. And I guess, yeah, just
2: in, you know summary of that is, yeah, putting yourself out there, you know, in Australia and the UK, there's so many opportunities to go and pitch, um, and, you know, there's, there may be prizes to those that win first, second or third, but you never know who's in the audience. Uh, you never know who's sitting there. Uh, as Chris identified, you know, there was someone sitting in the audience that you didn't even know was there, was able to go and have a partnership meeting and, and sign up about, you know, was it about 30 or 40 individual businesses as part of that conglomerate? Yeah. Um, which just from from last minute going and having a conversation. I think the best thing as well is going to those pitch events and going to have those conversations is no one sitting there criticising, and I can tell you that. Everyone is sitting there and actually is paid or they actually want to be there. They want to support each other. And that's one of the most wonderful things about the startup ecosystem is that people get involved because they love it. They want to support each other. It's really taking away from any of that corporatized, um, you know, competitive nature. So you're really employed to to, to go um, and speak at as many events as possible. So just going to um, reach out to some questions. We had a few come through earlier on, um, so I'll just answer this one. Or sorry, I'll ask you this one, Chris. So how many attempts did it take to get funding?
1: Yeah, solid question. Um, early on, I probably reached out to maybe 100 friends. I'd say two high school friends invested. Um, my brother invested, so, know, yeah, luckily he invested, thankfully. Um, and then a couple of friends, actually girlfriends and similar businesses that I was working with, and um, yeah i think you know as you know it takes a thousand no's to get one yes but that one yes could be a million dollars you know you just never know so one thing i do always try and hit home is don't get uh, deterred from the nos. like if anything use it to fuel you to be like gosh i'm gonna get that yes Um, but or from, not now. Yeah, or not yeah. now. Yeah, but for me personally, it's about 100 maids. Um, yeah, which is actually a pretty good success, a pretty good uh, stat or ratio. Yeah, great. So
2: probably leading on to the next question, but yeah, with that 100k investment, was this from a private individual or, or conglomerate?
1: Yeah, 80 grand was yeah friends yeah. and family, and then the 20 was from government. Yeah, great.
2: Um, So another question here is what are the differences to raising funding in Australia versus the UK? Uh, So typically in the cycle or evolution of, you know, from going from friends and family, angel investment, um, VCs, et cetera, it's got the same stages. Uh, I'd say that the UK is a lot bigger, a lot more, um, I guess, people or individuals as well as VCs to be able to invest and it's a bit more of a mature investment um, I guess cycle and period, uh, but in saying that, there's probably more competition. Um, so there's you know positives and negatives, um, but they're probably the biggest differences. And there's thing and the government grants are obviously different as well. Um, so any of the questions in here. So one from James West, which was is the most common route for angel investment through family and friends. So just to break that up, and, and we can talk through that, and I can send it through. So, family and friends and fools is your low-hanging fruit for early-stage investment, which is people within your direct network. And then you've got angel investors who are typically individuals that will invest into startups. Now, there can be a bit of crossover there if that angel investor is known. And then you start to get into venture capital uh, and other funds as well along there. So um, that's kind of the, the difference there. Um, Stacy, yeah, let's definitely connect afterwards. Yeah, We'd love to chat. Um, and, yeah, Angus has got here. would love to get your thoughts on having a co-founder versus going it alone.
1: Yeah, you know, that is I would always 100% recommend, you know, co-founders, team environment is great so you can ride the highs and ride the lows, but ultimately it does really just come down to your business, your model, what resources you need. Um, for us, you know, our key I guess, business models, there's me in sales, there's my co-founder who's marketing and communication, which is very important for us to create that community effect, Um, and then obviously the tech builder to do all the development. Um, You know, I think we've probably all heard a lot of times that for VCs or for serious investment, no one will invest, never say no one, but very few will invest in a tech company without a tech co-founder. Um, You know, I've heard that personally a couple of times and I'm sure you could probably vouch to that. But I think the way for founders to evaluate that answer is to write down the core pillars of your business and, you know, for what it it will take for your business to succeed, write down what your core strengths are and then see what's missing. Yeah. If it's simply just a social media handler, you know, you could probably outsource that to an agency. But if it's a full... Uh, business pillar, you know, potentially a co-founder to, to come into play. Yeah, interesting. And I would agree with you on
2: that statement, you know, even two years ago in terms of, you know, VCs or et cetera will only invest if you've got a technical co-founder. Um, fortunately, that has changed. Oh, uh, there you go. Right. Understanding that capital is being used to hire someone into a senior leadership option, uh, so senior leadership role, and uh, knowing as well that there are other things as well, like uh, ESOPs, uh, which is an employee share options um we get the, the, the lingo wrong there. It allows them to actually have percentage within the business. Um, so something we can talk about on the side. So don't feel that if you don't have a technical co-founder, you can't go through that process. But knowing as well that, it, as Chris said, it's a serious pillar that needs to probably be an initial hire in the business. Um, so, no, thank you for that, Chris. Um, did you intentionally
1: seek a co-founder with a tech background?
2: You know, How did it come to fruition?
1: Yeah, that's funny. That actually goes right back to what we were saying before about as many networking events as possible speak to as many people as possible i was just listening in on a networking event i think it was an online webinar i gave my one minute spill about what three helps does they just so happened to be lisa who's my current co-founder who was listening who's one another which is the company i've just acquired awesome. uh you know my one sentence obviously speak to her, uh, sparked her interest we connected offline She's had this one another app which is quite similar in market but was struggling with sort of the financials and the scaling and sort of the next steps, which is what I've been doing with Hyper. And then it was her and the de- co- her co-founder was the developer. So through a random networking event and just through being able to openly express what I was doing to anyone um, it actually came by chance. You know, obviously, we did about three months of due diligence of checking our values, how we work together. You know, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, how does the team work? Um, but it was an absolute no-brainer for us. Yeah, sales partnerships. She's um, marketing comms, and he's tech and developing. So yeah, it was awesome. a it just was a, a sign from heaven.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, thanks, Chris. I'll probably put the shout out if we got any final questions for the next uh, couple of seconds. Feel free to. to- anything there um but as i do that as well just you know after this is you know if you've got any questions feel free to to post on the um on the comments of this apollo chat as well and we'll be posting the video live as well Don't think we've got anything else coming through chris is anything kind of last Moments of wisdom or words of wisdom you have um, to share with everyone before we go?
1: Mate, just give it a crack and have fun. You know, a lot of people try to worry about what the company is going to be like in six months or twelve months or the impact it's going to have to your family. Just enjoy the experience, enjoy the now. Um, yeah, just have a fun time doing it. It's my only my only advice. You know, everything that goes wrong is a learning curve, so just embrace it. Yeah. Um, yeah, just love it, have fun. We got people to people around you to help, you know. There are good people in this world who are willing to help. Um, yeah, I hope you found today beneficial. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for jumping on. Really appreciate
2: it. Um, yeah, with all this stuff in terms of raising funding, feel free to get in touch with your commercial strategist and, and they'll be helping you through that journey too. And just feel free to, to reach out to Chris as well if you've got any type of questions on Apollo um, and other founders as well that have gone through that journey. Cool. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, have a great day for our UK listeners and, and a wonderful evening for our listeners. Thanks everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of How to Start a Startup brought to you by Hyper. Do you have a product or business idea but don't know where to start? Visit us at hyperhq.com and book a free confidential session with a Hyper business mentor to discuss your idea and how to make it a reality. We'd love to talk. And that's all for this week. See you next time.